Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 28 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. Thanks for listening. This week, we're talking with Spencer T. Fulmar and Thurman Mason, the filmmakers behind the upcoming faith-based drama Generational Sins. Trust me, this is not like any Christian film you've seen before. But before our interview, I wanted to go back in time for just a minute, if you'll excuse me. Years ago, a buddy of mine had kind of an online challenge. Which is better, TV or movies? And I took the movie side. I mean, I grew up on movies. And I remember my dad saying time after time after time that he just didn't care much about TV, but movies, that's where it's at. And I could watch TV and kind of get his point. If you watch any TV show from the 80s or even the 70s when I was growing up, they just looked different. They looked a little cheaper. The acting maybe wasn't always as good as what you might see in a film. It just was a different universe. And while there were a lot of great TV shows of the 70s and 80s, and I'm not going to discount that, I thought, just generally speaking... Movies, that's the place you go for the big, big stars, the big, big budgets, and that's where the great entertainment was. And I kind of clung on to that for years and years. And I always remember the Bruce Willis incident when Bruce Willis became a superstar thanks to Moonlighting. What did he do? He scrambled out of TV as quickly as possible, got diehard, and became a major movie star. And he's pretty much been that way ever since, although he hasn't made any great films recently, but I digress. Things are different today. Much different. We all know about peak TV and how many great TV shows there are. Streaming and Netflix and even Sci-Fi Channel used to crank out some really terrible programming. Now they do some of the best of the best. You can find great programming everywhere on TV. And then you've got the movies. And once in a while, there's a movie that's terrific. Sometimes there's a blockbuster that's almost worth all the hype. And I marginally put the Wonder Woman film into that category. It's good. It's fun. And it's certainly worth being part of the cultural conversation. But overall, I think when people get together these days, they talk about how great TV is and the shows they can't stop watching. I think there's less and less conversation about movies. And I mention all of this because of The Mummy, which came out just recently. It's a new movie with Tom Cruise trying to create a dark universe of interconnected movies about those classic universal movie monsters. Now, on paper, I'm on board with that. I grew up with the Frankenstein's monster and the Wolfman and all those great creatures. I'm their target audience. And the movie, The Mummy, is terrible, flat-out terrible, the worst movie Tom Cruise has ever made. And it's you have to kind of wonder why, and I think it's on the screen. They are so desperate to create this shared universe to kind of make all these different movies that are franchise after franchise. It's all they cared about. They clearly didn't care about the script. This is a terribly written movie, and it's wasting a lot of really talented people, including Cruz. He should have known better, frankly, so I put a little bit of the blame on him, but I digress. This is the state of Hollywood movie making, and you know what? The Mummy might even spark that dark universe after all. They've already lined up some actors. Johnny Depp is the Invisible Man, and the overseas box office could be just good enough to keep things going. So it doesn't even matter if the movies are good. It just matters they make enough overseas that they can kind of create these franchises and, and patch together these shared universes. It's a really sorry state. I mean, I think at some point, people are just going to tune out Hollywood completely, wait for maybe films to pop on Netflix or streaming or cable, wherever they check things out, and just basically abandon the movie-going process. Now, 
if you're a teenager, it's one of the great places to go. It's what I did when I was a teen. And I get that. I don't think it's going to go away. And I don't want it to go away. But I have to say, just the movie after movie after movie that's so disappointing, so calculated, so transparent in what they're trying to do rather than tell a good story, boy, I'm getting exhausted. And frankly, I would never take that challenge with my friend, TV versus movies. I'd get beat. It's like doing the Kobayashi Maru. It's a non-win situation. So I think at some point, things will change. I think the market forces will come to bear. I think studios and filmmakers will say, hey, we've got to make better movies. This is really going downhill. But I don't think we're there yet. And I don't think it's coming soon. But right now, I think TV is where it's at. And I really hate to say that, but it just is what it is. I am Groot, and you are listening to my daddy's podcast. Well, I appreciate that, Ben. This week's hit tip of the week is Being Flynn. The movie got very little love when it came into theaters in 2012, and critics weren't super kind to it. And I think that's a shame. The movie's available now on Netflix, and it reminds us how good Robert De Niro can still be when he's not fucking up his film resume. He plays a drunken man who fashions himself as master storyteller, and he reconnects with his son, who wants to be a novelist himself. The son is played by Paul Dano, another good, solid performance from the young actor. Of course, father and son get together, they fight, they bicker, a lot of the old bruises kind of come to the surface, but there's going to be some sort of resolution at some point, but there's going to be a lot of fighting along the way as well. There's nothing really surprising here from the story's point of view, but you know what? It's the depth of De Niro's performance that really kind of makes this movie pop to me. He's still picking too many really bad movies. I'll never forget him for The Big Wedding. That's just one of the worst movies the last 20 years. But he's also still capable of delivering a great performance. He's rock solid in the recent film, The Comedian, another movie that didn't really connect with box off, with the box office at all, but it was good enough. He also was powerful in a more supporting role in Hands of Stone, a boxing picture which didn't get a lot of attention last year either. It seems like it's a pattern with Robert De Niro at this point. But you know what? He's flat out terrific in Being Flynn. If you're looking for something on Netflix, I really recommend it. I think you'll enjoy it. Nobody puts baby in a corner. You will believe a man can fly. That's right. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> Get to the chopper if you feel lucky, punks. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Yo, Adrian. Hey, we're covering all these franchises and more over here on iTunes at the Franchise Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Ehrenberg. And I'm your host, Henry Papali. And check us out, folks. What's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> Probably being covered. All right. <laughs> Take the red pill. Now let's get to our interview with Spencer T. Fulmer and Thurman Mason. Spencer is the director and co-screenwriter behind Generational Sins. Thurman helped produce the film. The story follows two brothers trying to fulfill their mom's dying wish to reconnect with their abusive father. Only the painful memories won't let that happen so easily. It's a faith-based movie coming soon. It doesn't pull any punches. The language is occasionally kind of salty. It's not what we've come to expect from faith-based movies at all. But you know what? That's how real life is. And that's one of the things that we talk about in the upcoming conversation. The duo kind of break this down in greater depth and talk about why they don't make movies the traditional way. They're not looking at sequels and reboots or those shared universes. They've got something else in mind. So here's my interview with Spencer and Thurman. Thank you guys both of you for taking the time to speak to me. Let's talk about sort of the genesis of Generational Sins because often there's a, kind of a backstory behind the stories. Was there a specific sort of creative spark that kind of led to its creation, or was it sort of a series of events that maybe made you decide to tell this particular tale? T talk about the the creation. All right, 
Uh, hey, my name's Spencer, uh, director of the film Generational Sins, and the story uh, was sort of a culmination of events. Um, my cousin and I, we actually wrote the screenplay together, and Thurman, uh, our executive producer, he came on board, and the story transformed quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, from there. And uh, Thurman and I, we, we got to know each other back in seminary about... I guess seven years ago, we met at a uh, seminary down in Florida, and we really hit it off uh, all those years ago. We both had a passion for theology and for film, and we reconnected uh, last year before we started shooting Generational Sins, and I asked Thurman if he would be interested in getting involved as a producer or the main producer on the film. This was my third feature film, and Thurman uh, had a background in film, and he flew out to Hollywood, and we we got together. and In April of last year, we just hit the ground running, and actually, uh, sort of had what we would call like a pilgrimage to Las Vegas for what's called the NAB. It's a technology conference, mm-hmm. and on this on this you know five hour drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, Thurman and I discussed about the kind of films that we wanted to see that we weren't seeing uh, being made and what we wanted Generational Sins to be in sort of a series of films with our our production company, Third Brother Films, to represent. Gotcha. And, you know, one of the things I've kind of noticed over the years is that as a culture, I think we're getting better at understanding how abuse in our past reflects our future, how how it... influences our lives and obviously that's a key part of this story uh, is that part of your purpose i mean i know there's a lot of different purposes with making a film like generational sins but is connecting those dots sort of part of your mission with this film yeah i, I definitely say it is um something i heard back in seminary was uh at a pastoral counseling class that hurt people hurt others and so we just want to we really want to be mindful and treat this subject matter well mm-hmm. Thurman, any thoughts on that? Hey, Christian, this is Thurman. Nice to be with you. Uh, We we definitely want to speak to an audience that, uh, to this point in time, the the faith-based film genre genre hasn't really spoken to, and that's the non-churched people, the people that are out there hurting and don't know what the answer to those hurts are. They don't know what the solutions are. And even though Hollywood has been making some of the greatest existential films in in history uh, and still do make the best uh, invariably those films about brokenness and about hurt and pain wind up with no solution mm-hmm. or they wind up with false solutions and uh, so Spencer and I really wanted to make the kind of films that accurately portray the R-rated world that we live in, because that's a part of what we do as filmmakers, and that's especially true for uh, Christian artists. And uh, we wanted to be able to portray that R-rated world in all of its uh, uh, brokenness, but in honesty. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully that's what makes our films different than uh, the other types of, uh, quote, faith-based films. And we, we don't really promote our films as faith-based films. We're, we're making secular films, telling good, compelling stories, but we certainly have faith-based elements in those uh, films. Yeah. You know, Thurman, it's funny you mentioned, what, as you were kind of describing that, 
I thought of the movie Manchester by the Sea because that has a, you know, spoiler alert, there, there's no real ending there. There's no sort of healing in a sense. It's it's just kind of moving on and doing the best after a tragedy. And, and I, so I think from your perspective, your film will have certainly something different and more uh, potentially um, beneficial to offer. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask, and, and I'm, this is always kind of a curiosity of mine, is when, you know, if, if you've got people who are filmmakers and, and they're believers, you, you don't want to just tell a story. You want to inspire. You want to praise Christ to a certain extent in your story. Talk yeah. about the balance there, because I think if 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 the faith overwhelms the story, then I think you feel it, even if you can't describe it. So you want to kind of keep sort of all the things in line. Uh, as filmmakers, how do you deal with that? Is it is it you know checks and balances on the set where you kind of keep each other honest and make sure the story is first and foremost? How does that how does that balance kind of come out? Well, I'll let I'll let Spencer add to that, but but for my part, um, that's really the whole trick, uh, Christian. We're, we're trying to thread a market. Traditionally, the faith based film industry. Um, it's been around in Hollywood for a long, long time. Of course, Mel Gibson uh, uh, popularized it in, in 2004 with Passion of the Christ, and Hollywood discovered that there's a lot of money to be made with these kinds of faith-based films. Mm-hmm. They still are, are learning how to market to that audience because they just don't, frankly, know how to market to that audience. And so the faith-based industry that arose uh, in the last decade has been primarily about Christians making films for Christian consumption. They're kind of self-affirming movies that speak to the church, that speak to choir members, and, and they uh, uplift those people. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a place for that. The Bible tells us to uh, encourage one another and, and, and to speak uh, you know, to one another, to, to uplift and, and encourage one another. But there's a whole other market that we're trying to reach. And so the uh, the Christian gatekeepers, so to speak, that are out there right now, they, they've they kind of grown comfortable uh, with their formulas and their success, uh, uh, the successes that they've had. So they're very reluctant when you have a film that comes along like this and it uh, has profanity in it. That's something that doesn't occur in Christian films. And at the same time, we have faith-based elements in this film that are so powerful that speak the gospel with no apology in, in, in a very uh, 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 forthright fashion. And that's something that has never been seen in secular films before. So we are, we are, uh, our, our challenge is to, to thread that, that, uh, that market. And uh, maybe Spencer has some more to say about that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with what Thurman said. And I'd say that, you know, it, it started from the very beginning. You know, we we worked with some respected theologians and pastors even on the screenplay, having it reviewed, being sure that the theology was as, as sound as it can be. Because we, we do only have two hours, you know, at a rate of hopefully about one film a year. And if we're going to proclaim the gospel, we want it to be as accurate and theologically as sound as possible. And we want to, th- and we want to tell this story in a real world reality so our audiences can connect with it and they can see themselves in these characters and these plots and these stories. Um, you know, Thurman, like I said, Thurman and I met at seminary. The only reason I got a master's of theology was to be able to write theologically sound screenplays. Um, and, and so Thurman and I have just been very mindful that as, as much as possible, it really is and it is a a broken world uh, 
a world full of sin. And that's why Jesus Christ had to die and be slaughtered, uh, you know, a bloody, brutal death. And, and it's sort of the bedrock, you know, of our faith, showing the world as it really is that we are indeed in need of a savior. And, and so I, I wouldn't, I just don't see for, at least for our purposes and our, our calling that we should sanitize how bad things can be. And if you show how, how deep and how bad the darkness can be, then the light is all the more glorious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, I know there's been stories in Fox News and The Hollywood Reporter talking about the fact that this is R-rated. Some of the some of the language is a bit coarse at times. Is it, it, I mean, I I think that's going to draw attention to the film. That's never a bad thing. Is, yeah. is there is there is it a complicated angle? Because I think at the same time, it may deflect from the real sort of enriching and, and powerful themes of the film. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I'm asking. This is a great marketing. Uh, tactic in a sense from the media's point of view but I, I, I fear that there may be sort of a, people will focus so much on an occasional F-bomb they'll miss the, the bigger picture here. Sure, I mean that's that's a great um, question and really our you know like we didn't necessarily write the headlines you know that were in the Hollywood Reporter or Fox News or stuff like that our, our angle at this wasn't for marketing splash or anything like that, it really was to you know, as Thurman said, we're, we're trying to connect to an audience that doesn't attend church. Um, and, and you know, whenever you actually watch the film Generational Sins, it's not nearly as profane as maybe it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, regardless of all of that, uh, you know, this is how at least, you know, I, I'm a bit younger than Thurman is. A lot of people in my circles and growing up, you know, they do speak sort of, you know, with unfiltered tongue. And uh, and I think that the way that these characters speak, and, and not all these characters, I mean, like, we're not making a film where all the characters in the film are Christian, and so we're, we're just trying to show the world in its unsanitized uh, lens. Almost, you know, if you, just, if you just step into these brothers' lives, in fact, uh, from the kind of brothers that we've sort of based this story on, they would actually cuss quite a bit more than what they do in the film. Um, and so we're just trying to be authentic. We, we just, we don't want to distract by unnecessarily uh, censoring the, the mm-hmm. characters or, you know, the, the, the plot line. Yeah. I had a quick comment about film critics and I'm, I'm a reporter, I'm a podcast mm-hmm. host, but I'm also a film critic. I've been one for a while and I yeah. know how my peers think. I know what they write. And I know how they cover certain topics. And when it comes to faith-based films or any film with sort of a, a spiritual bent, they often trot out words like propaganda, which I don't think is particularly fair in all cases. Can you talk a little bit about you, – you're both steeped in film. You both love film, and I'm sure you've read a review or two. Talk, yeah. is, is it fair? Is it something you're aware of? Is it just something you just have to kind of shrug your shoulders over? What, what, when you see film sort of critics taking that particular path, what's your reaction? Yeah, um, you know, th- that's very fair. Thurman and I were very uh, aware of that, and that's another way that we want to try and separate ourselves from maybe what has been seen, whether fairly or unfairly, uh, been deemed as uh, the faith-based film. You know, like it, it, like it can be a propaganda film or it can be a film that is proselytizing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that again, you know, like we're... The, the work of salvation is in the hands of the Lord. Thurman and I aren't pastors. We try to be as theological 
necessarily read from the gospel, and yet we believe that our films will be used as a tool for evangelism. But what's been really awesome is that probably only a quarter of our entire uh, cast and crew from pre-production to post-production had anything to do with Christianity or cared about Christianity. And when they saw our film, they really resonated with it. Um, they, they found it to be a cathartic, emotional roller coaster. And as Christians, we know why it's going to resonate with audiences, whether they're Christian or not, because this is objective truth. And objective truth is going to resonate with anyone, whether they accept it or they deny it. Um, so we really have an advantage as storytellers. But in our story, too, we're not we're, we're doing it in such a way whenever the gospel message is presented, it's done as almost like an organic part of the storyline that this is what like as an audience member, Christian or not, you would almost think like this is what the character would have to do next. Like he would have to do this. He would have to hear this message. This character would have to say this. And so we try to make it as organic and natural as possible. So it isn't propaganda. It isn't proselytizing. And for us as storytellers, you know, this is our truth. This isn't propaganda for us either. We're just speaking what is authentic to us. Gotcha. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. I think that many of the secular media critics and and, and reviewers who see these films as propaganda, I can understand that. I would I would agree with them in a number of situations. What what gets lost among them is that those films aren't being produced for secular audiences. They're being produced for Christian audiences. Our film is being uh, and, and the films that we'll be making after this, they will be made for secular audiences. That's that's our call. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, what, again, what, what makes us uh, different. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with those people reviewing films as they do because I'm inclined to agree with them. Yeah. It's almost like saying reviewing a horror movie and say, you know, boy, that was so bloody. But it is a horror movie. It is aimed at the horror movie crowd, <laughs> and that's, yeah, and that's, that's what true. you're going for. So uh, I, I know. Yeah. What do you What do you expect? And the fact <laughs> of the matter is, I, this is not a family film. You're not going to take your family mm-hmm. to the theater or onto the couch to, to 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 watch it. It has it has some adult themes. Uh, it, it 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 touches on alcoholism. It touches on broken families. On on child abuse. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's just not that it's not a Disney film and mm-hmm. we don't pretend for it to be a Disney film. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. This is kind of a two prong question. I, I watched the Christian faith based film genre kind of evolve in recent years. And I think in a very good mm-hmm. way. I think the the, quali- the performances are better, the budgets are bigger, yeah. there's better yeah. directors involved. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, where would you like to see it go? And then maybe you can even segue into where your specific careers will go. I mean, the kind of the stories you want to tell next. So you can attack at one or both questions, or or you know, tag team on whatever you want to do. But I'm just kind of curious. I, I think it's a it's a fascinating time in this particular genre because I think it's growing in very powerful ways. Okay. Definitely, it's a fascinating time for Christian filmmakers. And uh, as I said before, uh, uh, you know, faith-based films have been around for a long time. But in 2004, with The Passion of the Christ, they hit a whole new level. Uh, Traditionally, those films have been, you know, self-affirming films made by Christians for Christians. And we think that's good. There's a role 
for, you know, any kind of art, whether it's film, whether it's painting, whether it's uh, sculpting, whatever it is, there's a role for art being made by Christians for the purpose of encouraging the uh, Christian community. But we can't afford to let it remain within exclusively the domain of, of the church in order to take it out to evangelize the world, because we've also not only been called to encourage one another, we've been called to go in, into all the nations and to preach the gospel. And if you want to do that using the particular uh, you know, art of, of, of filmmaking, you've got to make the kind of films that Spencer and I are embarking on because the other types of films aren't going to accomplish that purpose. You cannot get our audiences to go see God's Not Dead. As a matter of fact, when I saw God's Not Dead Part 2, I saw it in uh, Las Vegas on the opening weekend, and when the credits rolled at the end of the film, I was still the only person sitting in the theater. Wow. And that was opening weekend. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and I and I agree with you, Christian. I am so glad that these films have you know increased in quality and in production. Uh, you know, as artists, especially as Christian artists, you know, we should be making the most excellent art possible. Uh, again, there's always limitations. There's budget limitations. There's all other kinds of limitations. But as much as we can, you know, the art form should continue to improve, and we should be as excellent as we can be. And and yet, like, you know, Thurman's uh, saying, you know, like with this story about God's Not Dead 2, uh, as as what might be called a, a millennial Christian, um, I cannot get any of my friends that are non-Christian to watch a faith-based film. And if it gets pegged as a faith-based film, they will run away from it. And it's a lot easier to get one of my non-Christian friends to go to church than to see a faith-based film. <laughs> and so... So that's just that's sort of like the reality that we have to wrestle with. And that's why I think it's good that Thurman and I aren't in the kind of films that we're making and we're inviting other filmmakers to make. You know, it's not in competition to the established market as much as is in addition to the established market on both sides of the aisle. You know, it's sort of a third mm. way. Gotcha. Yes. All right. Well, before I let you both go, I want to just ask you real quickly, because we ask all of our guests here at the HitCast, what are you watching now? What are you checking out? Uh, maybe on your... Uh, your um, MP3, MP3 player, what's on your bookshelf, anything you can recommend that you're enjoying that maybe people haven't quite heard of yet or just deserve a little bit more attention? Yeah, I got one. All right, so as a filmmaker, you think I'd recommend a film, but I'm going <laughs> to recommend one of my favorite uh, music artists. His name is John Rubin, okay. and he released a new album for the first time in seven years. It's called Rubonic. And uh, it's it's a, it's incredible. John Rubin has been making music since the '90s, and um, and I, I'm really encouraged by his new album. And it's very honest and vulnerable, kind of uh, p parallel to the kind of films we're making. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I I'm just started reading a book uh, that I'm finding fascinating. It's called Unthinkable, and it's written by a gentleman named Scott Rigsby, published by Tyndall Press. So Scott was the first person in history uh, to complete the Hawaiian uh, Ironman triathlon as a double amputee. Wow. He had no legs, and uh, he, he, he finished the race in about 10 minutes uh, before you know the uh, time expired. His book uh, tells a story about how he was a teenager and lost uh, one of his legs 
in a, uh, uh, a traffic accident uh, uh, during the summer. He graduated from high school and eventually wound up losing his other leg uh, because he decided to take that one off. He'd be better off without any legs than have this one lame leg that he had. But he was able to accomplish something that few people have ever been able to accomplish. So uh, this book was extremely uplifting. It has a positive message. And uh, for anybody that has a challenge ahead of them that they think is impossible, uh, let me tell you, after reading Scott's book, you, you can do the unthinkable. Gotcha. Those are two great recommendations. Thank you both. Spencer and Thurman, I appreciate your time here. Of course, the movie is Generational Sins. And any last plugs we can kind of share, either social media or things you want to mention before we let you go? I mean, we got a great Instagram, Generational Sins. Uh, that's the handle. And then our film production company is Third Brother Films. If you want to learn more about the kind of films that we're making in our upcoming film slate, go to thirdbrother, T-H-I-R-D, brother.com. Thank you, guys. And again, there's going to be the show notes page, hollywoodintoto.com slash generational hyphen sins. You'll have links to all the pertinent information, a trailer of the movie, and also some of the good recommendations you guys gave us. So, uh, we will check that out. Spencer and Thurman, thank you so much, and uh, we will kind of touch base in the future on a, a, a future movie project. That'd be great. Thanks. Thank you so much, Christian. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. You know what this is? A commercial? Right! And you know what that means. <gasps> Time for a snack? Wrong! I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. Yes, you can! Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure. Haverty's Furniture is here to help you get your home all set for the new year so you can set the stage with more style, set the bar more beautifully, and set a more show-stopping table. Let's set some time aside to settle in on a new sofa together because being at home shouldn't mean having to settle for less. And Haverty's Furniture can help you start the new year off right at their holiday savings event so you can create the perfect setting. And right now, everything's on sale store-wide. 